Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 5 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. To hear ad-free versions of our episodes a few days before their general release, head to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Seventeen-year-old Sylvia Fleming lived in Omar, Northern Ireland. In April 1998, she was four months pregnant. The father of her baby, Stephen Scott, was nine years her senior. The couple had met at a house party in December of the previous year. During February, Sylvia moved into Stephen's second-story flat with his two Rottweiler dogs, in Lissanelli Heights. But she soon left. Sylvia found Stephen's behaviour too controlling, the sexual element of their relationship frequently turned violent, and he would often openly mock her in public. She told him about the pregnancy, and he at first denied the baby was his, insisting she must have slept with someone else. Stephen then told her he did not want to be a father. Rumours circulated about Stephen Scott, nicknamed Bulldog because of his short, stocky build and he was seldom seen without his dogs. He was obsessed with serial killers, fascinated by Ted Bundy and Charles Manson. It was reported that the part-time fireman had garnered a local reputation for being a, quote, Jack the Lad, he thought highly of himself and his ability to attract the opposite sex. Being a fireman, part of his job was visiting schools, giving talks on the subject, but before that, he held down various positions. He served in the British Army, he was a gardener and a council cleaner for a time. He was born and raised in England, but moved to Ireland, his mother's birthplace 
after her marriage dissolved. The family settled in Port Leash, but at 16 he left home, following his sister who married a fellow Jehovah's Witness and moved to Omar. Unfortunately, his sister's marriage wasn't to last, and she left Ireland to emigrate to Australia, leaving her then-adult brother who by this time was living in his own council flat, a place where teenagers Stephen met in the local boxing club would sometimes congregate. Sylvia Fleming, born on October 11th, 1980, had two sisters, Josephine and Kathleen, or as they were more commonly referred to, Josie and Kathy. Their upbringing had not been easy. They were placed in foster care after their mother Kathleen was admitted to a psychiatric hospital following the breakdown of her marriage to the girl's father. The children were at first separated before Sylvia and her sisters were fostered by a family living on a farm where Sylvia stayed for 11 years while attending St. Bridget's School on Kelvin Road, Omar. Geraldine McCormack, the principal at the secondary school, said of her former student, We knew her and her sisters had difficulties in their own lives, but that was never shown in the way they lived their lives. She was a ray of sunshine, very well behaved, and good fun. One by one, the Fleming sisters left foster care with the two oldest, Josie and Kathy, obtaining council accommodation. Josie had since become pregnant and moved in with her partner. Following the breakup with Stephen Scott, Sylvia spent her time between Kathy's and the home of a friend. She had enrolled in a hairdresser's course at Omar's College of Further Education during September of 1997, but left when she found out she was pregnant. After that, she secured a job at Spring Lawn Care Home for the Elderly as a nursing assistant. Late on the evening of April 3rd, 1998, After some drinks celebrating the first paycheck from her new job, Sylvia left the home of a friend on Mealmore Drive in Omar. She said she was going to see Kathy. The route to her sister's home passed through the Lissanelli estate, where she used to live with Stephen Scott just under a mile away. The pair were still on speaking terms, and it wasn't unknown for her to occasionally stop off at his flat. Her friend Katrina, commonly referred to as Siobhan, would later say that Sylvia was happy about the arrival of her baby, but had concerns she did not have enough money to adequately provide for a child. In her final conversation with her friend that night, Sylvia spoke about possible names for her unborn baby. It was reported that Sylvia left Siobhan McMullen's home at 11.15pm, but was never heard from again. On the afternoon of Sunday, April 5th, Kathy Fleming reported her younger sister as missing. Siobhan McMullen and Josie Fleming had visited Stephen Scott's home. They had spoken to him on the phone the previous day, but he claimed he had not seen Sylvia. The pair searched through his flat would not have time to go up into his attic as they were quickly ushered out of the property. Stephen seemed agitated but said he was worried about his former girlfriend. He told them he and Sylvia planned for her to come over the day after she went missing but she never turned up. Sylvia's friend and sister left the flat. They noticed rucksacks on the floor close to the door that looked to have been tightly packed full of something, though they did not know what. It was then they reported Sylvia Fleming's disappearance. Missing posters were put up in the windows of shops and businesses. Police divers and mountain rescue teams scoured remote and rural areas hoping to find some sign of the teenager. Whispered rumours began to circulate in Omar that suggested she had left to become a drugs mule 
but there was no truth in the gossip. Sylvia obtained a passport in her last year of school so she could go on a trip to Bulgaria, but it hadn't been used since. It was highly doubtful she had left the country. Furthermore, her bank account had not been touched. A missing persons appeal was issued as the Royal Ulster Constabulary desperately looked for clues. With the heightened press coverage, suspected sightings of the teenager were reported across Northern Ireland, but each lead went nowhere. In a witness statement taken on April 20th, Stephen Scott said that he and Sylvia had a short relationship only lasting about six weeks. Things didn't work out and they separated. He claimed that the last time he saw her was in late March. The pair spoke on the phone on Friday, April 3rd and it was agreed that Sylvia would visit Stephen's flat the next day. However, he claimed he was out when she had allegedly visited earlier than planned. Denise, a 14-year-old girl that spent a lot of time at the flat, later informed Stephen that Sylvia had actually popped over late on that Friday night. Police searched his home, including his attic, but found no trace of Sylvia Fleming. Stephen also told police that Sylvia had been sleeping with someone else, a man she allegedly described as the love of her life. At the end of May, nearly two months after Sylvia Fleming went missing, building developer Patrick Hawhey was woken early one morning by the telephone. Police needed access to a four-bedroom detached house he was developing on Circular Road in County Tyrone. After gaining access to the property on the Mulligmore estate, remains were found wrapped in refuse sacks hidden in a shallow grave under the floorboards of the residence. Police had been instructed to look there by a friend of Stephen Scott's, Paul John Rigby, after he was seen acting suspiciously nearby with a weapon. Dressed in army fatigues, he had been perched on the branches of a tree, firing an air rifle. It appeared he was looking to get arrested. The discovery of the body may never have happened if it had been a week later, as cement was due to be poured on the foundations of the development. Father Kevin Mullen was called in to perform last rites. When questioned afterwards about how he coped with such a duty, he said, I don't know, I haven't thought about it. There was such a bad stench. It was later confirmed through dental records that the remains belonged to Sylvia Fleming. Following the discovery of Sylvia Fleming's remains, newspapers reported the arrest of 26-year-old Stephen Scott in relation to her murder, along with a 15-year-old boy also called Stephen though we will not divulge his full name, due to his age at the time of the crime. Two further arrests were made, 19-year-old Paul John Rigby and a 14-year-old Denise, for the lesser crime of helping dispose of a body. It was revealed that the 15-year-old male had met Stephen through the local boxing club, and Stephen became a family friend, even babysitting the teenager and his four siblings. 14-year-old Denise had been spending a lot of time at Stephen Scott's flat. During questioning, Stephen Scott was accompanied by his solicitor. Over the course of the four tape-recorded interviews, his recollection of the events that led to the death of Sylvia Fleming varied from his initial statement. In his first interview, Stephen said that he did in fact see Sylvia on the morning of her disappearance, April 3rd, 1998, 
Sylvia came round to his flat at about 7am and stayed for approximately an hour. During this time they had sex, then she left. After that he claimed he didn't see her for the rest of the day, though Denise told him Sylvia visited his flat while he was out later that evening. He said she again came over the following morning on Saturday the 4th. The pair had sex and she left not long after. It wasn't until Sunday the 5th that Stephen supposedly discovered that she was missing. He claimed panic set in when he was first visited by the police and that was why Stephen said he hadn't seen her. In his second interview while in police custody, he denied that he was involved in Sylvia's murder. But by the third, Stephen's story changed yet again. His recollection of Sylvia's last hours alive was disturbing. Please note, listener discretion is advised. Stephen Scott this time claimed that Sylvia came to his flat on Friday evening and they had sexual intercourse. He said he proceeded to tie her up and force a blindfold over her eyes, as a joke. He had a bottle of insulin in his possession and decided to inject the contents into Sylvia's thigh while she was incapacitated. He called out to the other 15-year-old Stephen and 14-year-old Denise who were in the neighbouring room at his flat. The cord that Stephen had used to bind Sylvia's hands was looped from one hand around her throat, then to the other hand, restricting her airway. The cord was tied to the headboard while Sylvia's legs were immobile. They were secured to the foot of Stephen's bed. Stephen Scott claimed the younger Stephen proceeded to pull on the cord wrapped around Sylvia's hands and neck and it quickly began to tighten. He said it was a joke that just got out of hand. Sylvia Fleming was dead. Her body was rolled in a blanket and hidden in the attic. Stephen Scott and his two teenage accomplices left her there while they visited a local swimming pool. When they returned after their swim, Stephen claimed the teenagers discussed what to do next. He said it was his younger namesake that suggested they dismember the body, to which they all agreed. Denise went to the shop to purchase refuse sacks and cleaning products, with what turned out to be £25 the trio had stolen from Sylvia Fleming's own pocket. After putting her lifeless body into an empty bath, using a hacksaw and a utility knife, Stephen Scott cut Sylvia into eight pieces as 15-year-old Stephen held her limbs. They didn't bury her underneath the floorboards of the newly built house straight away. Each part was wrapped in a plastic sack and the remains were stored in two boxes kept in his attic. As the interview progressed, Stephen Scott slowly revealed even more disturbing elements of his crimes. All Sylvia's clothes and other possessions she had with her at the time were at first thrown in a skip at a nearby leisure centre, however they were later burnt, along with a cord and syringe, used to bind and incapacitate her. The blindfold that Stephen had mentioned in an earlier interview was in fact tape, forced over Sylvia's eyes and mouth. It was so wide that it went over her nose. Stephen had made her ingest sleeping pills before he injected the 17-year-old's thigh with insulin. During this third interview, he could not recall if he had mentioned to his teenage friends that he was going to forcefully tie up and drug his ex-girlfriend. He was asked why he had chosen to inject Sylvia with insulin. The only reason he could offer was that he wanted to see her reaction. In his fourth and final interview, Stephen Scott went on to detail John Paul Rigby's involvement. Rigby was in England at the time of Sylvia Fleming's murder. He received a call from his friend Stephen and was informed that Sylvia had gone missing. He was not told about what had actually happened. It was when Rigby returned to Northern Ireland 
Stephen told him Sylvia was no longer alive and along with two teenage friends, he had dismembered her body in his flat. The remains were at first hidden in Stephen Scott's attic before being moved to a garden shed that belonged to the family of his 15-year-old accomplice. Some body parts were then hidden in a partially finished two-story house, though some still remained at Stephen's flat. When explaining to Rigby who actually killed Sylvia, Stephen was unsure what ended her life. He was almost certain it was the teenage Stephen pulling on the cord tied around her throat, though he admitted there was a small chance it could have been the insulin which he injected into Sylvia's leg. After hearing what had happened, John Paul Rigby assisted the others in hiding the remainder of Sylvia's body. After again running over the events of that day in early April, Stephen Scott told detectives he had tied Sylvia up a handful of times during sex and it had always been consensual. As for the night she died, Stephen said she did not object to it. He alleged that there was an hour window between him tying her up and injecting her with insulin, which he said she neither agreed or disagreed to. This was perhaps because she was unable to voice any objections after she had digested sleeping pills and had tape forced over her mouth. As the interview continued, Stephen then adjusted the time she was tied up before she was injected from one hour to half an hour. Asked to repeat his recollection of that night, Stephen's account varied yet again. He claimed that after he tied up Sylvia... He left the room to go to the toilet, spending roughly 15 minutes away from his former girlfriend, during which time she was left bound in the company of Stephen's two teenage friends. Upon returning to the bedroom, he came back and claimed he found her lifeless. Stephen Scott was now insisting that he attempted to revive Sylvia with chest compressions after tearing the tape from her mouth but at no point did any of the three people present call emergency services. Asked several times to recall what happened, sometimes Stephen described being in the room when Sylvia Fleming died before changing his mind, saying he wasn't in the room at all. He alternated between removing the tape from her mouth and not taking it off. The numerous accounts that Stephen Scott provided were littered with inconsistencies. The only congruous parts of his statements were that he did not intend for his ex-girlfriend to die, he was one of the teenagers who was ultimately responsible for her death, and he wrapped Sylvia's body in a blanket, hiding it in his attic before visiting a local swimming pool. A detective questioning Stephen Scott said, All this business about the schoolboy coming in and pulling on the rope is just you trying to cover your tracks. This was a statement that he vehemently denied. When being told his actions of cutting up a body, buying cleaning products and burning clothing were methodical and systematic, Stephen Scott insisted he was innocent of the murder and said, I was panicking like mad. I was in a state of shock. The discovery of Sylvia Fleming, who had been dismembered and disposed of in such a callous way, caused anger throughout the community, and riots began in the streets. The fact she was also pregnant had emotions running even higher. It was just over a month after the Good Friday Agreement, which took place on April 10th, 1998, a compact that sought to calm the civil unrest and agree how Northern Ireland should be governed. Police had petrol bombs and missiles thrown at them, with one officer set on fire, though luckily due to his protective clothing, he avoided serious injury. The homes of some of the suspects were also set alight. Sylvia Fleming's grieving family asked for calm, but the riots continued throughout the Malagmore estate. The home of Denise, the 14-year-old girl said to be involved in the crimes, was almost burnt to the ground 
so it was agreed with her legal counsel that she remain in custody at a child detention centre for her own protection. The grave concern at the time was the riots becoming politically motivated, directed from outside the estate. People had arrived by taxi to join the riots and crates of homemade explosives were seen in the area. Friends of 15-year-old Stephen helped him and his family find a safe house in Armagh, but in response, their home was also burnt down too. After the flames spread to the neighbours, the riot that lasted three days finally stopped. Stephen Scott's flat had been boarded up, along with John Paul Rigby's home. At the time, Joe Byrne, a counsellor, tried to disperse the rioting crowd to little effect. He later said the people causing the trouble had no respect for the Fleming family and commented, This is a tragedy and we have a family trying to grieve, but unfortunately a lot of people who are out causing trouble didn't seem to be mourning in the way we would normally expect. Four suspects had different religious backgrounds, the Jehovah's Witness, two Roman Catholics and one Church of Ireland. It was clear that Sylvia Fleming's murder had no links to politics or religion. As the missing posters were being taken down from lampposts and shop windows, Sylvia Fleming's remains were transported to Omar Morgue. Her uncle worked there, and it was his job to receive her body when it arrived. To add to her family's heartache, Sylvia's funeral had to be postponed while a second post-mortem was carried out to confirm her manner of death. The church where her funeral would be held was open all night for a wake. A former school choir, of which she was once a member, sang at her requiem mass on Thursday, June 4th. Sylvia Fleming's funeral was held the next day at Christ the King Church. Her sisters and father were supported by social workers. Sylvia's mother Kathleen attended separate to her family, sedated and aided by two medical staff from the hospital. Over 1,000 people came to pay their respects, with Father Canning addressing the mourners from the front of the church. Her death aroused mixed emotions from many of us, he said. Many of us cannot help feeling angry because of her death. It is an anger which is hard to cope with, but in spite of it all, it is important that we don't act too much on it, causing more evil itself, which does not do any good in the end. Sylvia's best friend Siobhan linked arms with her two sisters, Kathy and Josie, as they left the church. During a preliminary hearing, Denise was granted bail on June 19th, but she did not return to her family. She was sent to a non-secure unit at Rathgold Young Offenders Centre. She was accused of helping to dispose of Sylvia's body, but not her murder. The teenager had cleaned the body and hoovered the flat in an effort to remove any forensic evidence. It was noted there was a 12-year gap between the young female and Stephen Scott. Barrister Brian McCartney emphasised that point. He stated, There is a considerable age gap between them, and it is accepted there was a degree of infatuation by the girl. The teenager's parents had separated, and she was spending more and more time at Stephen Scott's flat. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code among us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. From the High Court in Belfast on September 14, 1998, 15-year-old Stephen admitted to helping cut up Sylvia Fleming's body after death. He was denied bail. By October 29th, Paul John Rigby had remained in custody since his initial arrest. The judge also refused his request for bail. It emerged that Rigby's wife lived in England and the judge felt it was a possibility that the accused could flee and stay with her. Ballymena Crown Court, March 2000 Stephen Peter Scott denied murdering, falsely imprisoning and maliciously wounding Sylvia Fleming who was pregnant at the time of her death. But he did admit to dismembering, disposing of and concealing her remains along with a single charge of perverting the course of justice. He claimed that she agreed to the act of being tied up because she had not said no. The jury were told that when police came to arrest the now 28-year-old bodybuilder nicknamed Bulldog, he confidently said that he had nothing to say before fainting into the arms of an officer from the Royal Ulster Constabulary. During his opening statement, a lawyer for the Crown told jurors that in spite of the disturbing and distressing evidence they were about to hear, it should not influence their decision. Throughout a search of the property on the Mullagmore estate, an officer for the RUC found Sylvia Fleming's head, along with six other body parts in soil, under the floorboards of the dining area. In the kitchen, police would discover her torso wrapped in a pink blanket and bound with silver tape. A statement from the officers working the scene described a strong, sickening stench that progressively got worse as more soil was removed. After a more rigorous search of Stephen Scott's flat, Sylvia's DNA was found in the plumbing of the bath. 
pathologist Professor Crane reported that he believes Sylvia Fleming's cause of death to be mechanical asphyxia as a result of either covering her mouth and nose or compression to her neck. It was hard to establish precisely as her body was severely decomposed. Though evidence of strangulation was not clearly visible, it could not be ruled out. Poisoning via injection was also a consideration. Regardless, Professor Crane had little doubt that Sylvia's murder was caused by an unnatural event. Dr Ian West, a forensic pathologist, also gave evidence. He believed the death of Sylvia Fleming would have been an expected consequence of what was inflicted upon her by the accused. The tape over her mouth, the injection of insulin, and if, as Stephen Scott said, he did leave her unattended, the tragic outcome was inevitable, even without the cord around her neck. Dr West said he believed what happened to Sylvia Fleming, at the very minimum, was an act of extreme recklessness. Javon McMullen gave testimony and told the court that during the search to find her best friend, Stephen Scott led them close to where Sylvia's body was buried. She said, We walked past the building site where Sylvia's body was found afterwards. It was very dark. We could not see much. I was uncomfortable in the dark. She said Stephen suggested they continue looking, telling her, You never know what you might find. Siobhan declined to carry on the search and Stephen offered to look in the building during his morning jog the next day. As the trial came to a close, Judge Mr Justice Kerr told the members of the jury they must weigh up the evidence against the accused. They were instructed to consider, one, whether the binding on Sylvia, the tape around her mouth and cord around her throat contributed to the teenager's death. Two, whether it was an unlawful act. And three, that Stephen Scott intended to kill or inflict grievous bodily harm. The judge acknowledged that Sylvia Fleming's death and the method through which she died could have stirred up emotions such as sadness and repugnance in the jury. But he requested their feelings about the case not affect their decision. You must not, and this is of critical, vital importance, allow the understandable, natural, inevitable reaction to cloud your dispassionate analysis of the events, he said. You must not allow horror and revulsion to distort and cloud your judgment. After two hours of deliberation on April 1st, the jury reached a unanimous decision. Guilty. Cries of yes were heard from Sylvia's family in the public gallery. Stephen Scott, who had not spoken during the trial, remained passive and showed no sign of emotion. Sentencing Scott to life in prison on April 5th, 2000, two years and two days after Sylvia was killed, the judge described him as thoroughly evil. He went on to say, This is a crime in my experience, and all the experience of those who have been associated with this trial which is unique in terms of its gruesomeness. Stephen Scott would face a minimum term of 19 years in prison. Two months after he was sentenced for Sylvia Fleming's murder, Stephen Scott appeared at Belfast Crown Court to face sentencing for the dismemberment and disposal of Sylvia's remains. He was given an additional five years. The judge told him the manner in which her body was disposed of after her murder is surely the most gruesome. I am satisfied that you, Scott, not only deliberately killed this young girl, but that you planned that killing and carried it out in circumstances so squalid 
that they would revolt any right-thinking person. I consider that manner in which you carried out this killing and disposed of your victim's body establishes beyond question that you are a thoroughly evil man. Teenager Stephen and Paul John Rigby each received two and a half years in prison for their part in the crime. Late June 2000, Denise, then 16, was cleared of conspiracy to pervert the course of justice, conspiracy to prevent the lawful burial of a body, and making a false statement to police at Antrim Crown Court. The dismissal came after four days of legal arguments. The judge, Mr Justice Gervin, said Denise's statements were inadmissible because, amongst other reasons, her accompanying adult was her mother, who was also a witness in the case. Detectives had made threats and given incentives and had not thoroughly explained the caution given to the teenager. The judge said, The outcome of this case may call for careful review of practices relating to the questioning of juveniles by police. Four months later, Stephen Scott applied for leave to appeal his conviction. His request was denied after the Court of Appeal observed Stephen Scott's accounts to police varied wildly both before and after Sylvia Fleming's remains were found. He had tried to distance himself from her murder as much as possible, attempting to shift the blame to a 15-year-old. He was not able to fully explain why he neglected to remove the tape from Sylvia's mouth and why he injected her with insulin. At the time, Stephen Scott's sentence was one of the longest minimum terms given to an Ulster Life sentence prisoner. He also attempted to appeal the length of his term, however this was denied by Lord Chief Justice Sir Brian Kerr, who was also the judge at the trial. The judge said during the appeal, I am satisfied that the offender subjected Miss Fleming to sexual maltreatment humiliation and degradation before she was killed. So where are we now? After serving eight months, Paul John Rigby was released from prison. Time served had been taken into account. During sentencing, he had been described as having a weak and ineffectual personality who was a ripe candidate for the influence of Stephen Scott. After he was arrested, Rigby had disclosed the location of the body, which it was suggested by the judge could have otherwise never have been found. It was later reported that Rigby was involved in a completely different crime in England. His wife was Emily Horn, a notorious bigamist. A few years after Sylvia's murder, it was revealed the former Royal Irish Regiment soldier was her only legal husband out of her five marriages. They had only been married for 16 months when Rigby returned to Northern Ireland and assisted his friend with disposing of Sylvia Fleming's body. Emily Horn received a 10-month suspended sentence. In the autumn of 2012, Sylvia's sisters, Josie and Kathy, learned some upsetting news. It was discovered that some of their sister's body parts, along with the fetus of her unborn child, had been retained by police, a fact they were not made aware of until Josie received a visit from a liaison officer in the Northern Ireland Police Service. Josie Fleming told the BBC... I thought they were here to talk about Stephen Scott's release, but then they started to talk about body parts that were retained. I was here on my own. I was very shocked, and I just broke down. At first, I couldn't put together what they were trying to tell me. It was only after they left and I sat down and thought about everything, I realised what they were actually here for. 
I rang my sister Kathleen and broke the news to her. She reacted the same way as me. Very shocked, very upset. The past three months have been a complete nightmare to get through. Insisting the family wanted answers, Josie went on to say, We want to know how this all happened in the first place. It has taken until now for all of it to come to light. Why have they held Sylvia's body parts and organs this past 14 years, when Stephen Scott was convicted and sentenced in 2000? We are very angry that this whole thing has happened in the first place. In May 2012, a few months before the Fleming family found out some of Sylvia's remains had been kept by police, a news report revealed that there were 67 instances across crimes that occurred between 1960 and 2005 in which the police service of Northern Ireland had retained remains and tissue samples without informing the families of the deceased. A spokesperson for the Northern Ireland Police Service said, In 2010, the Human Tissue Authority, or HTA, issued a direction asking all mortuaries holding post-mortem tissue samples to undertake an audit and report back to them. The police's visit to the Fleming sisters was to ask how they wanted to handle the last of Sylvia's remains. July 2014 Josie and Kathy appealed to parole commissioners to prevent Stephen Scott from entering Omar and visiting their sister's grave through his early release program due to being enacted later that summer. Josie told the Ulster Herald, This man has absolutely no reason to come to Omar and our family want him formally banned from our hometown and from the grave of Sylvia and her unborn daughter. After being told by authorities that Stephen Scott had written an apology, in a further interview Josie went on to say, Sylvia is gone and we have been left to grieve her loss for the past 17 years. Victim supporters told us that he has written a one-page letter in which he apparently states that he is not going to come to Omar and has apologised for what he did. Our family believe this is just to gain brownie points to secure his release. We want to know if he has shown any remorse and why he murdered Sylvia. Three years later, Sylvia Fleming's family were furious when they were told Stephen Scott had been seen out painting a fence where his parents lived. Josie, Sylvia's sister, spoke to BBC Radio. Even though we knew the time was coming, we are angry and fearful. They need to let us know when he is due for his official release. It's important for us to know when this evil person will be free to walk the streets. Later in an interview with the press, she said, You never can come to terms with what happened. We're learning to live with it, but we'll never ever get over it. After pictures of Stephen Scott were posted in the newspapers following the sightings of him at his parents' home and a local KFC, he was moved to a probation service approved location in Belfast. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. A great free way to help the show is spread the word through social media or leave a five-star review on your podcast player. For our UK and Australian listeners, if you want to hear more, you can now buy a copy of our new audiobook, They Walk Among Us, available from Audible, or anywhere you purchase your audiobooks. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly ebay gets it so look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch stitch sole and logo is checked by experts with ebay authenticity guarantee you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach ensure your next purchase is the real deal visit ebay.com for terms hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.